Is the world a sphere? Or is it just a theory held together by a mathematical equation built upon a mathematical equation? Is it just spheretical? Or has a few generations of common consensus got everyone believing the emperor is wearing new clothes? Welcome to season two of Spheretical Podcast. In this first episode of season two, I get to speak with Legs and Buffalo Rambler from the False Reality Check podcast. Hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. Life is made of experiences, conversations, and stories. You're not going to find these by laying back and letting Netflix, Hulu, and Disney program your reality. You gotta get out there and experience life for yourself. You gotta seek those experiences, join those conversations, listen to those stories that tell a vision that black mirror devices don't want you to seek welcome to false reality check a podcast where the only rule is you must be your real authentic self i'm buffalo and i'm legs join our conversations as we learn about and break down the lies we've been sold laugh cry and think with us and our friends as we discuss how we can liberate ourselves from this false reality one conversation This is Buffalo Rambler. And this is Legs. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. It's a new year. Fake New Year. Yeah. Gregorian calendar New Year. So Happy New Year to all of you who don't follow the moon. (laughs) But uh, we have a great episode for you today. We're bringing a friend on and supporter and other fellow podcaster, Rob, who was one of the first people that reached out to us when we first started our podcast. And he's been talking to us ever since, giving us great information about what's happening over the pond because... Rob isn't in America. No, he isn't. He's over in the UK, and I'm so glad we finally are getting together to do this Swapcast. He is going to revamp his podcast, Spheretical. I don't know if he's going to keep that name, or I guess we'll find out. But uh, let's let's bring, bring him on, on, Rob. Hey, Rob, how you Hi, doing? Good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm in the the Scottish borders, um, ah. which is a, a highly contested area of the UK. Obviously, there's a lot of people that think they're English, and there's a lot of people that think they're Scottish. So it's it can be fun at times. <laughs> what are yeah, what are I, you? Are you are you do I do you identify as one or the other, or do you not care? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I I identify as Scottish. Um, I don't sound Scottish. Any of the UK listeners will say doesn't sound Scottish, but I was born in Scotland. I was raised for the first couple of years in Scotland, and then we moved quite a lot because my father was in the Air Force. So we traveled all around the world, and I eventually ended up back in Scotland. So I've, I've had a, an interesting an interesting time, shall we say. I've seen a lot of the world. Uh, you know, the Far East, spent three years in Hong Kong, uh, spent some time in Germany. I did a tour down the Falkland Islands, not during the conflict, but subsequently after. Uh, went to Cyprus, some of the little islands off the coast of Italy, uh, you know, 
the usual stuff you do when you're in the military you get sent here and there so no I've had an interesting life you know I wouldn't change it for the world that's awesome where was your favorite place to reside yeah or are you currently happy where you're at I'm very happy where I'm at Uh, a few years back we got offered a position to run a shooting come sporting lodge down in the Falklands which we were going to take I was the only applicant that actually ever been so so I I tick more boxes than anyone else uh but the eldest child would have had to have gone to boarding school um and we we weren't comfortable with how they set that up because when we spoke to them and we said oh you know oh we you know don't mind a boarding but um where we were in goose screen I think Stanley was about a 40 minute drive and we said, oh, we, you know, we can drive through in the evening and see her and take her out for a meal. And the school were very much like, uh, no, 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 no. Once they're here, we, you know, we have, you know, the curriculum's kind of set up for them being here and parents turning up and stuff. That's, you know, that'll just throw everything out and it upsets the balance. You know, you get to see them on the weekends. And we were a bit like, yeah, no, you know, that was almost like denying us access to our own children. Yeah. You know, and we were like, yeah, not, not happy with that. So... So we had to turn the job down because that's not why we had a family. We had a family so we could spend time with them, not ship them off and then not see them for, you know, a week at a time, you know? Yeah. Of course. Boarding boarding schools are interesting because in a way you send your kid away and it kind of, I guess, helps them become more independent. But at the same time, you're being kept away from your family unit. You don't know what they're being taught. What's, I don't know. It's like a... Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's really weird. We were actually last night um after before the midnight occurred um we were watching a what's that movie? The Mel Gibson movie Man Man Without a Face? Yeah. And the kids just trying to get into boarding school and Mel Gibson's like his tutor or whatever. And um it's so funny that you mentioned that because he wanted to go to boarding school to get away from his family and you're and you were the opposite. You're like, "No, we're a family. We're supposed to be together." Which to me that's that's what I believe. We're, yeah. You know, if you're a family, you're supposed to be together. Even if your kid's away at school, you still want to spend time with them more so than just the weekends if you can, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's a, an environmental thing, isn't it? Because when in, in, sorry, in my past lives, as it were, I've done a lot of work when I came out of the military, like a lot of military people do. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with myself. So I kind of bounced around from job to job to job, you know, and I, and I, I did some for a while and then some I did for a couple of weeks and then said, that's ah, not for me. But one of the jobs I did for about a year was I was at an outdoor activity center as an instructor with children with um, behavioral issues. Yeah. And it was two members of staff to one child. So you can imagine how behaviorally challenged they were just in that scenario but some of these kids were you could tell that they acted they acted in a way that they obviously emulated from their parents because we used to read the files to why they were there and the parents normally came from you know either an abusive family anyway they also had criminal records drug addictions and stuff and you could tell that by listening to the kids you know they acted they were emulating the environment that which they'd come from. Now, my kids emulate the environment that they've been brought up in, uh, which is, you know, I speak to my wife in a, in a in a normal tone. We say please and thank you to each other. We ask each other how we are, and we're very civil. 
you know, and we we always try to have at least one family meal a week where we sit down, you know, and share the day. If I walk in, my kids always ask me how how my day was. I ask them how their day was. Then the wife comes home, she gets asked how her day was, vice versa. Yeah, and it's and it always triggers. Um, some of the best discussions we ever had in the staff room was the whole nature versus nurture argument and you can never ever get to the bottom of it because there's 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 both isn't there because yeah. there's some yeah. kids that are brought up in a fantastic nurturing environment that turn out bad and vice versa there's kids that get born into horrendous family situations yet turn their lives around and and escape that so you know nature nature versus nurture it, you know i think Without the nurture side of it, I think nature would just take control of that straight away. You need you need that nurture. You need at least some kind of grounding in an, in a nurturing environment to be a well balanced person. But that's that's only my opinion, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did the did you see any improvement with those kids and working outdoors? And I don't know what the program consisted of, but I know. Um, like for the outdoor schools here, not necessarily for kids that are bad or whatever you want to say, those kids thrive, like put an elementary kid or elementary age, um, school kid out in nature to learn with their other cohort Yeah, and they thrive. It's like the best learning environment for them. Did that help those kids at all? Yeah, absolutely. The, the system that we worked was, uh, we were what was called crisis. And we were the the first port of call. If you know the, they get arrested, they get thrown in a police car. They end up being dropped off on our doorstep, and we had them for a maximum of three months, and that was it. And if they couldn't come around to routine and boundaries within three months, their next stage was like juvenile care, you know, like prison basically. Um, if they got through our three months and they learned routine boundaries, you know, and a bit of self worth, they went on to a into an educational based system where there was less staff and more kids, you know, three to one, four to one, depending on the children. And then if they progressed through the educational system, they went into a care system where they, you know, we're talking when they hit sort of 16 or so, we had houses where they could live semi-independently within a household environment where we got them a position, a job and such like. And then there was like a member of staff that ran a house, um, so our, our our crisis center, we were the, the front line. And like you say, obviously the first week was always the most difficult because these kids have never – their first night with us would always be in a tent. They weren't allowed to sleep in a room. They had to come out and camp, yeah, and they had to learn how to look after themselves within a camping environment. And if they were good – then they were allowed to have a bedroom, <laughs> and then, but every every at least two nights a week we would be out camping and like hill walking, rock climbing, canoeing, and like you say, once once you everyone likes something, don't they? Yes, um, of course. And some of the kids just like sitting around in the tent cooking food on the trangia, um, and they found that kind of therapeutic, you know, cooking their own food, you know, and and actually chopping up vegetables and stuff for the first time ever. You know, uh, some love the rock climbing, some love the canoeing, some like the walking, just just walking, just put a backpack on and just walk and walk and walk till it gets too dark and you pitch a tent, go to sleep, get up in the morning when it's sunlight, make a coffee and carry on walking, you know, and some of them really took to it. That is awesome. Which was nice. We had, uh, 
in the year that I was there, I would say I had three good successes where we turned uh, a child completely around to the point where I would have said, you know what, you know, I would, I would take them to my house, Jermaine, and, and trust them to be sensible and not crazy like they were when they first turned up. So very rewarding, just not well paid uh, okay. to, the, to the extent where I went home one day and the wife said, every month it costs us 50 quid <laughs> for you to go to work. So oh, wow. every time I got paid, we were taking 50 pounds of our savings, yeah, to pay for the me to go to work. That's how little the, the job got paid. Plus, I had to travel to the – obviously, the centre was in the middle of nowhere. It was uh, in the middle of Wales, on just off or right on a place called Offa's Dyke, which is a an old fortification like Hadrian's Wall that stretches from the north to the south of Wales, uh, built by – supposedly king offer uh, and i can't remember what year it was built but you know we're talking about the middle ages dark ages kind of thing uh, and it's about 177 miles or something crazy oh wow it's a big fortification um or, or was a big fortification and basically he got all the local farmers everyone was responsible for building so much you know either side of their farm and that's how they completed it from north to south so yeah, look it up. Offers Dyke, it's called. It's it's what it's on my bucket list. It's it's no it's nowhere near the Appalachian Trail, but it's on my bucket list of things to walk. I want to walk the full length of Offers Dyke before I'm too old to do it. And it can take it takes about ten days, and there are several ways to do it. You can just do it yourself and just walk it. Or there are set routes where every night you end up in a in a pub or a bed and breakfast, you know. Nice. So you don't, you know, and and you can have someone take your luggage to the next place, so you just walk without, you know, with a day bag on, you know. So that, is really that might cool. be the way I'll have to do it. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'll have to I'll have to sort that out. Just yeah. reminded me that's like say bucket list that you forget about, and then you go, ah, I'm in a situation now where I could probably do that. Take a, a week off work and just drive down to Wales and do it. Be nice. Hey. It's a new year. Yeah, new year, new make year. That, make that one of your, your goals for this year. That's really cool. And I, I really, I think that's awesome, um, your former job. And it gave those kids purpose. And a lot of those kids are, are lacking some type of feeling of what is my purpose. And um, yeah. putting them out there in the elements is definitely like teaching them about themselves and the things they like. That's awesome. There's there's something about keeping things simple with um, physical exertion and exercise being in nature. It kind of, it's almost like it's its own therapy in a way where it doesn't cure everything or every ill the person may have uh, to deal with their trauma from growing up or, you know, in a broken home, like you said, but it can help in a way to kind of clear up their mind so that they can deal with those traumas in a better way and kind of transmute those into better methods of self-control and of growth, which is kind of what we're all here for. Um, to kind of touch on something you mentioned in the email that you wanted to discuss, um, some of the people that come from the richest homes in the world are some of the most traumatized children, and that has to do with their ritualistic abuse and things like that. Um, did you ever encounter anybody who may have been a victim of that sort of abuse in, in the elite circles? 
Oh, that's, I mean, that's a good question because um, I'm going to say no. Um, but I have worked for two lords in my time. Um, I did a bit of work for a Lord Hopeton, who owns a big country house just outside of uh, Edinburgh called Hopeton House. Um, and I can only say good things about him and his wife, to be fair. <laughs> uh, an absolute lovely couple. Um, proper down to earth, very nice. And the other Lord, whose name I won't mention, because he was... Um, he wasn't like a hereditary lord. He was. He was. His family were gifted a lordship back in the day. Uh, he was a bit old, and as much as he was like a, a nice guy, he did us bad in the end because he didn't have any concept of the real world. You know, he 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 eventually sold the estate that we lived on, along with our house, and basically turned us out onto the street with not so much as a buy or leave. Um, because his kids didn't want to take on the responsibility of the estate. They wanted to sell it and take the cash. And that was their attitude. And I will never, I wouldn't say I would never forgive them, but you know, I, I wouldn't cross the street to help them. If, if that's, you know, uh, which is a, is a bit of taste in my mouth when I remember how, how we were tre especially after the year we were there and, and how hard I'd worked and the estate was supposed to be my retirement job. They, they wanted someone there, you know, for their dotage. And they just, you know, literally almost a year to the day, just sold up and said, right, see you then, <laughs> you know, you're out on the street. So that, that, that was a, an eight months of turmoil where we had to, we, we did find a place. We managed to scrape by for eight months until we found another place, which was the place before we bought our own house, which ultimately we ended up exactly where we needed to be when we needed to be there because I'm a, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. I believe uh, I'm very Nordic in my beliefs. I believe the Norns have woven my tapestry for me and the destination is already woven that I can't avoid my destiny, but how I get from point A to point B is partly my choice. So I have free will in which road I take, but I'm going to end up at the same point. You know, I can either take the road less traveled, I can go straight there, or I can take the scenic route. I think that's that's my free will in play. I decide where I want to go next, but ultimately, whatever the fates have got designed for me will come to pass, no matter what I do. So you, so you kind of believe that the future, in a way, is, is already written, we're just playing it out? Yeah, yeah 100%. I think... Uh, that that's my belief. I think whatever whatever is meant to be will be, and sometimes you can deviate from that path, um, but ultimately you will end up having you'll either have to circle back to complete something before you can move forward. Um, I don't know. Like, treat it like a D and D game. You walk past the ladder, and you don't want to carry the ladder because well, it's just a big cumbersome bit of kit. You don't want to carry that. But, you know, 10, 15 miles on, you come to a wall that you can't scale. And you walk up and down the length of the, the wall for days on end trying to find a way around it. And eventually you realize you have to go back and pick the ladder up because that's just the way you're getting over the wall. Yeah. So that is a predetermined point in your journey. Getting over the wall is a must. You can't avoid that. You have to go over the wall because that's part of your adventure. But because you neglected to pick the ladder up, you have to circle back to get it. 
so you've just just taken longer to complete your task but ultimately the task will be completed that's that's kind of how i see life yeah sometimes you ignore something because you don't like it at the time or it's inconvenient or whatever but ultimately if you're meant to do it you end up having to go back and do it that's how i see it yeah i i tend to agree in a way i i don't believe that the future is written in stone in a way but i do believe that certain things we are threshold points almost like checkpoints in a video game where you have to hit that point and if you don't hit that point then you do have to circle back you have to come back around and learn something or grow in a way to overcome that thing and sometimes the only way out is through and so we have to kind of come to that realization and go through it but everything that happens in our life happens for a reason a purpose and we're supposed to learn from that purpose and learn from that reason and grow and take that with us i don't um i don't doubt that at all that's definitely what i believe yeah i agree yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah, autosave, isn't it? Back in the, yeah. the, the old school games, like you, you suddenly hit a point, you hear that little ding, and you go, oh, I've reached a point where there's no... And there's a point, and you hear that little ding in your head where you know there is no going back either. Yeah. You can't you can't redo that. You have to, you get that, right, I've hit a point in my life, something's just happened, and for whatever reason, you realise then you've set your path. When your wife tells you, you're about to have your first child. That's a ding. There's no going back from that. Yeah. And once your first child is born, that's that is another milestone in your progress forward. You don't go back from not having that. You know, you you you've had a child, and for for better or worse, whatever happens to you, your family, your children, moving forward, that is a milestone point. You've had a child, therefore that that no one can take that away from you it, it's happened yeah you may lose a child which is which is terribly terribly sad but it doesn't take the fact away that you had a child and that has altered your entire perspective on everything forever moving forward and you can't explain that to people that don't have kids and like sam Tripley says he doesn't want to be that guy that bores everyone and saying you've got to have kids you're the best thing ever it's one of those things you either do it or you don't do it you know um and it's perfectly acceptable to do both you know so exactly yeah kids are definitely one of those save point milestones <laughs> i wonder if we'll hit one of those one day i guess we'll find out, we'll find out. time will tell we'll see i don't think i'm opposed to it i used to be yeah oh my gosh both of us used to be we used to be so anti wanting to have kids just our whole viewpoint has changed where in the past i, I don't know i won't speak for you but for myself I thought kids were just this huge burden and almost like this parasite that's put on me and I have to take care of them the rest of my life. Like I didn't see the beauty behind it. The fact that I'm creating life, which is, and you're, you're helping too, It's magic. but I'm, I'm baking most of the, the child for nine months. So <laughs> and it's kind of like a big deal for my, for myself as a woman. But, um, well, back in the day, the big issue is like, we used to eat a lot of sushi. Oh. And so she would be like, man, I have to give sushi up for nine months. That sucks. And I was like, yeah, that sucks. You shouldn't have to give sushi. Yeah. Up. And, and cannabis and just all the good things, you know, but it's a sacrifice that's worth it. I think yeah. because it's a blessing that pays forward in multiple ways for decades and decades till, the, till you're gone from this world. I think Yeah, you, you, you might find that you, um, 
if you ever do become pregnant that there's certain things that you don't like anymore my my, my wife was uh, she's vegetarian so um she one of her favorite things of all time was uh, mushroom stroganoff and uh, she was pregnant with our second and we went for a love went to a lovely restaurant it was new year um we went out to this lovely place, a nice Cayley band going just outside of Inverness, um, a place called Brocky Lodge, just not far from Loch Ness, if I, if I remember rightly. Uh, she got this lovely bowl of uh, <laughs> mushroom stroganoff, had one mouthful and was like, nope, <laughs> that tastes awful. And she couldn't eat it again. And that was just one of those pregnancy things, you know. Uh, you hear about women getting cra- odd cravings, you know, for... I don't know, you know, like ice cream and chips or something, you know, and you're like, well, that sounds a bit weird, but the body craves what it craves. And for whatever reason, her body decided that mushroom stroganoff was not, not the thing she needed to be taking that day. And that was the end of that. So you might find when you're pregnant, you might go completely off. Um, I don't know. Cannabis. Oh or, man. Or sushi or whatever. Only for that. Uh, hopefully only for that period. And then once you, once you, once you've given birth and you can, binge as much as you like then you can actually roll up sushi and smoke it (laughs) (laughs) if if that's if that's what takes your fancy oh my gosh don't don't eat a great deal of sushi i must admit it's not uh not a very scottish thing but we do have um i mean i've had it in the past i must admit obviously i I had it when i was in the states i've been to the states three i'm gonna say three times i went to jacksonville in florida for eight weeks and during that eight weeks, I ended up going down to Palm Beach and across to Andros Island in the Bahamas for a day, which was nice. I spent four weeks out in Huntington Beach, California. Wow, um, nice. I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll tell you when, and I, and I uh, it was 99, and we were there. We went to see one of the first showings of Star Wars, you know, the, the episode one. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, we, um, so we drove through into LA for that, uh, and we also also went to Yuma for a few weeks. Uh, and whilst I was there, uh, I had a weekend off, and I went across to Arizona to Tucson for a weekend. Uh, which I think, if I was to go back to America, I would like to do more of Tucson. You know, more of Arizona. You know, I liked I liked the desert. We did a a day trip on a horse. You know, we did the up in the Catalinas. You know, on on the on the trail, which was nice. Um, and then did a lot of drinking in Old Town, Tucson. And then we the morning we we were leaving. We went to the Colossus Cave, which is fascinating. If you've ever been there, that's uh, very interesting. Wow, so, that's yeah. awesome. No, I, I like I like the states, but ever since the TSA came in to power, I've sworn blind I'll never go back to America while I'm trapped like a criminal just for wanting to go to see it, you know. So, and I've got friends that go every year, and they're like, "Oh, I have to give my fingerprints and this and that," and I'm like, "Yeah, right, no, 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 not not doing that. Oh, wow. Not doing that at all. You know, I've got nothing to hide, and and equally, I've got nothing to fear. But equally, again, I don't like being trapped like that just because I want to come and visit a country." So yeah, sadly, until that changes, I don't think I'll ever be going back. So, oh man, yeah, flying. Ever since nine eleven, flying was just so unattractive. And for us, we've come to the conclusion that we're never going to fly again. There's, it's just with the whole COVID and um, masks, mask, and 
and you're going to have to have a, what they call a real ID, which is like a federal ID. Like we have driver's license for each state. That's our state ID. And now they want to change that to become this like, not worldwide, um, countrywide federal ID that we have to have to fly from state to state. I'm not down with well, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that will loop will, will, a, a nice segue into Conspiracy Kyle uh, and his book, uh, Galactic Tar- Totalitarianism, yeah, which I just finished this morning. Um, absolutely fantastic read. Um, I'm hoping my Amazon review gets okayed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, blockchain technology, that'll be it when it will all be given a unique 42 digit, you know, blockchain number. I can see that happening in the, in the future quite, you know, and it'll be passed off so kind of casually as well, you know, it'll, and it will be brought in because it'll make us safe and secure and it'll help every, you know, Oh, you won't believe you couldn't live without it. Do you mean the fact that we've lived without it for centuries won't be mentioned, but they'll sell it that way. They always sell it under the whole guise of safety and security, which translates into control and obedience. So we'll see how far down the road people can, can push that, you know? Yeah. uh, It's, it's a, we're certainly in interesting times. That's for certain. Um, Though, for me, the last two years, I've, I've, you know, I've done like a lot of us. I've not worn the mask. I've not been and got my jabs. I've just ignored the whole thing. I just walk around and do my normal thing. Even when I went for my new job, um, which I won't mention, um, I just, I turned up for the interview, maskless. Didn't get asked why I wasn't wearing a mask. I got offered the job. I accepted the job. I turned up didn't wear a mask and no one's bothered to ask me at all but everyone else at work wears masks Uh, in public when we when we're like in the staff room or in the offices everyone's maskless but when we go out to be like public facing everyone's got the mask on some of the staff do the regular hand sanitizing and stuff which is all kind of normal in our environment you know because we're serving food and drinks and stuff but i'm not i'm i'm like the, the maintenance guy i'm or the janitor in American terms, I'm the guy that fixes everything. So I just go around my daily business doing my own thing and no one has yet to ask me why I'm not doing anything. So, and, and I like it that way. I've got my own little office down in the basement where I, I sit with the boiler rooms and stuff, nice and warm. Uh, and I just do my paperwork and then I get a phone call saying, you know, this toilet's broken or this window's not shutting or whatever. And I run up and I fix it and I go back to my little hidey hole, <laughs> listen to some more podcasts at double speed uh, and then go home. So that's kind of, that's kind of my day. That's a blessing in disguise it's, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is, I mean, and I'm, and I'm fully prepared. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was Andy Rouse that said it, but um, I've heard, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I heard someone say, you know, I've walked away from two jobs this, you know, in the last couple of years because they've, wanted to enforce the mandates and they said and that's just a line i'm not crossing and i'm at a position where i'm happy to you know if they suddenly say oh you know company policy is this 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 you know can you just sign here i'll be like yeah no see ya. i'll I'll pick up all my tools and i'll uh i'll go and do something else even if i have to become self-employed which i've done in the past it's not my favorite thing because it's just a lot of paperwork and um the tax man's always after you for 
you know your receipts for everything you do but yeah ultimately um i would more than happy walk away and do something less financially beneficial to myself just for my own peace of mind so good for you money's money's an illusion it's it's all energy at the at the end of the day and if we give it our energy and attention it takes over our life and a life filled with worry about finances is not really a life fully lived and experienced so i think um yeah we're actually going the self-employment route uh now that we moved up to idaho (laughs) so no jobs for us I mean, I mean, money is um, the reward you get for sacrificing your time. That's, you know, and time once sacrificed can't be recouped. You can always get more money, but you can never get more time. So it's it's a it's a double edged sword. It, you know, with the whole control narrative as well. It's I've heard people, you know, the whole free man of the land argument where people you don't have to have a driving license per se. You can deregister yourself but you open yourself up for a lot of you know you just put a big red flag on yourself sometimes and and i've made the point that in some cases you, you might say well you don't have to have a driving license but you can use that system of having a driving license to then drive to a protest <laughs> do you know what I mean so sometimes a, a negative can be turned into a positive it's the same with we always say you can't fight the system with the system. You can't take the government to court because the courts are run by the government and everyone in the court system is owned by the government. So taking them to court is, is just a, you know, it's a, it's a nonsense. You shouldn't, it's just a circular thing that you'll never, ever achieve. However, if enough people keep doing it, I think at some point the rubber meets the road and someone will suddenly say, why is it illegal to expose the illegal things the government are doing? Why is that? And and one day someone will say something and, and someone with a bit of more authority than us. And that that's one of the reasons I started my podcast in the first place was my, my only intention was if I reached one person and made them think differently, uh, not necessarily correctly, but just make them think outside the box, would they be the right person? Would that person be the next per- the next legs and buffalo jermaine do you see what i mean and because you've taken the whole podcast and you've you know you've run with it you know when you send me the link and it's a proper booking system you know just short of a receptionist you're there aren't you i was like wow this is very professional every time i had a guest it was emails and phone calls and you know trying to work out time differences and stuff and you've got an all very very official i love it it was very very professional so i'll have to up my game (laughs) We got to hook you up with that link. It's, it is such a time saver. Let me tell you, because I was, when we first started, that's how I was originally booking people is just doing the back and forth, trying to figure out the time and the date and that, that gets, that gets rough. And just with this quick link, you're set. We got to, we'll let you know how to get that going for you. No, no, I was very impressed. I must admit. So, (laughs) I mean, hopefully you can make a, a career out of it. You know, you could be the next Joe Rogan. I hope what, not. I don't want to be Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he's CIA. Like, so, yeah, so but when I say Joe Rogan, I, I don't mean that you'll deny the moon landings. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I'll know, I'll know most of the truer nature of this world, not the fact that, oh, yeah, I believe in all this and all that, but I don't believe in this. And uh, he started off not believing in the moon landing. Now he's like, no, 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 we went to the moon, even though. We didn't. Uh, he, he was one of the best at 
debunking it. He he was solid right up until he got was it the Rogan experience? Yeah. That? And and then he just turned. I think. I mean, was he offered the bag of money or the big stick, and he took the the bag of money? You know, it's a shame to think, but uh, I suppose everyone has to do what they have to do in the situation that they're given. But um, it, it was a shame when he when he suddenly went nah nah nah, you know, and then that led me down a um, another rabbit hole. Which if you, are you familiar with a website called the Center for Informed America? No, I'm not. Yeah, well, CIA, yeah, <laughs> the Center for Informed America. And I can't, I can't remember the guy who did it. He passed away suddenly after a, 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 a about a cancer. But he does a fantastic, and it's available on audio, called Wagging the Moon Doggy. Yeah, you look okay. that up. But he's done other things, a bit like David Weiss, as in he's the the Moon Doggy thing's great. If you go to stoplookthink.com, which is David Weiss's original website david weiss is knowledgeable over a lot of things not just flat earth yeah um you know the whole again don't want to say you know the 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 places where things um happened that didn't really happen (laughs) so i don't know because are we can we say things on here without being getting strikes yeah you yeah we're on rock so so like you know sandy hook um um the Vegas shooting, all that, you know, and some fantastic breakdowns of, of a lot of false flags, which, which again is a, a, a one of my pet hates is false flags in regards to people get confused between false flag and hoax because not all not all false flags are hoaxes, but all hoaxes are false flags. Yeah, and yeah. people do die in a in a in a false flag. That's part of that. It's the historical fact that you know when pirates used to raise a false flag to attack a merchant ship people died and that's still the case today and sometimes a false flag is designed to do that sometimes it's allowed to happen where people don't intervene when they should do and then you have your hoaxes which are completely staged and no one dies and separating the two can be difficult but i think if everyone was to agree that even a hoax if we treat all hoaxes as false flags, which they are, we'd be on a better footing than arguing the minutiae as to did people die, didn't people die? Yeah, the fact is someone allowed something to happen which pushed a narrative forward very quickly, you know, with a big outcry, you know? Yeah. And I think that's that's the problem we're having at the moment within the the, the truth truther community. Definitely. Um, is, is people into arguing over all the, the minutiae and not, you know, the bigger picture, which is we're being fucked. <laughs> Do you mean it's a big club and we ain't in it? You know, to to quote uh, Will Carlin. Yeah, so, I think school shootings are a big false flag slash hoax for sure. What was the first one in this country? Uh, the one that we remember the most. That's it's the, Columbine. It's Columbine right? because that happened while we were in school, and I think they actually played it on the televisions in school. Which was like the worst idea for if you unless you want to traumatize children, then I think that's the greatest idea for traumatizing children. But for us to see that growing up, it's it put fear in us. Like, is that going to happen to us? Here? Oh, yeah. I was terrified. I was really freaking out after that as a kid. Just the thought of a classmate coming in and start starting to shoot in a classroom. But that I, I really feel like unless 
the kid is MK ultra or really traumatized somehow, kids aren't going to want to do something like that. People in general don't want to do something like good people don't. We're all good at heart. Yeah. We're not going to go into a supermarket and start shooting. It's just something that has been played as we're all evil. We have that in our like in our body that we can do that to someone. I I don't think that's real. No. That is a hoax. No. The only time I would feel comfortable ever assaulting or hurting somebody is if they're hurting me yeah. or hurting her or my animals or my family then I would totally, all bets are off, you forfeit your life in my perspective because if you're assaulting somebody and I need to protect them, all bets are off. But if you're I, I not would, bothering me, I'm going to leave you alone. Absolutely. That that would be, that's exactly my take on it. If if, um, if you're not bothering me, I, I have absolutely no ill intent to anyone of a violent nature. Absolutely none. If someone brings it to me, then as far as I'm concerned, you forfeited any kind of leniency on my behalf and I will come at you with absolutely anything and everything I've got. Uh, a part of my, when I was in Huntington beach, I was actually doing my CPO training. Uh, I was going to, I qualified as a bodyguard. So and one nice. of the, one of the lessons that we did was called force combat, uh, which we did with the sheriff's department where we used the ASP and stuff. But basically it's, 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 uh, for want of a better word, it's it's a hand-to-hand combat style, which is basically street fighting. You've been forced into combat, and the only outcome is you winning. So biting, gouging, kicking, you know, nothing's off the table. The, the whole point is to win that firefight initially, yeah? Be it with it, either with smarts or just explosive unnecessary violence, you know, like from the get-go. You just, you know, you just go for everything you don't none of this like you know fighting stance jab 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 dancing around trying to make it look pretty you just explode and you try and shake the other person to the point where they think they're going to die you know they've got to be like oh my god i've just chosen the wrong guy yeah this is stupid you know what have i let myself in for that was the whole premise of this uh force combat sort of scenario and i've still maintained that if if someone wants to be violent towards me, if if they put me down, they better make sure I stay down because if I get back up again, then, you know, I will make sure I try and put them down. And if I do put them down, I'm making sure they're staying down. It's it's a horrible, horrible thing to hurt someone, um, which I've done in the past. I did a bit of taekwondo when I was younger, and I, I was involved in a few street scuffles. Um, but ultimately never was I the instigator. I was always minding my own business, just, you know, getting a bag of chips from the chippy when someone suddenly says, give me your chips and then decides to knock them out your hand or, you know, and then tries to take your money, you know, and you're like, nah, I'm not having this. Do you mean, you know, this is, this is your fault that you're going to, you know, this is your fault. And this is where karma hits you with the, the big FU2 license plate, you know, because that's, these people only understand that and it's a sad state of affairs when people think they can do that and get away with it which is annoying uh but there you go it's like you say if if i'm being left alone i i don't go looking for it never ever have i looked for trouble in my entire life even in my military life yeah uh, i never went out with the sole intention of causing bodily harm but i met guys in my time that you know like oh i'm looking forward to friday night i'm gonna get 
pissed and probably get a fight. So why? Why <laughs> why is that your mental attitude for a Friday night? And I bet there's still people like that to this day. That's their, oh, yeah. that's what their, their idea of fun is to go out, get wankered, and have a fight with someone. They th- and they'll consider that a good night if they wake up on a Saturday morning all, you know, with a broken nose. And, and you think, no, you've got something loose in your head. There's something <laughs> fundamentally wrong with your wiring, I'm afraid. Yeah. So. Sounds like my old man. <laughs> That's what he would do. <laughs> Probably still does. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Unfortunately. <laughs> is, is it? I mean, is that a cultural thing as well? Because, oh, sorry, not cultural is not the right word. Um a generational thing because when I was young, I mean, my grandfather was a bare knuckle boxer in his day um, and, and quite good at it by all accounts. Uh, when, you know, but obviously when I knew him, he was in his nineties and he was an old frail man, but um, he could still suddenly throw a punch out <laughs> He's quite fast, all that muscle memory. Um, but back in his day, that was kind of the norm, you know, to bare knuckle fight with people, you know, um, the Teddy Boys and the Rockers and things fighting on Brighton Beach, and it was kind of normal. And then knife crime started. Jermaine, all of a sudden, people are saying, "Well, I can't out fight someone, so I'll stab them." And then, or in your case, "Oh, I don't need to learn to fight; I can just shoot someone," you know? Yeah. And then everything becomes unbalanced, then, doesn't it? Um, no, it's a crazy world when you when you break it down. I think the best thing we do is to try and negate that balance tipping that way you know the the less violence we attempt to do you know the the whole karmic balance should be one of peace and not violence that's you know and i think the 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 fewer violent acts that we portray or 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 convey to others is is probably a good thing yeah I agree. And even, even if, um, and I talked to, I talked to legs about this, but you know, we have, we're in the U S we have firearms. Firearms are pretty prominent here. I think we live in a state where nearly everyone has a firearm unless you're illegal and you can't get a firearm here. But for the most part, um, even with a firearm, even if I was to use a firearm in a violent manner to defend myself, I look at that, like, uh, I still love you. I just don't, I just don't want you to hurt me. So I'm doing this to protect myself. And I, and I joked with her that I'll name each bullet after an angel. <laughs> and, and when that bullet hits you, you'll get all the love in the world that you deserve because, uh, yeah, I'm not here to hurt you. I love you. I just don't want you to hurt me. <laughs> Absolutely. You say, uh, may, may my gun deliver everything you deserve. May you receive everything you deserve. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, it's like living in interesting times. It, it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, no, in, in, interesting. I like that. The, the whole. I mean, I, I've owned firearms, and obviously, you think in the UK it's difficult to get guns. But when I was uh, again in one of my jobs, I qualified as a deer stalker, um, and I was allowed to have firearms. So I had a rifle. I, th- I, t- I sent you a picture. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The Tika with a with a the, with a moderator on. It's um, a which you it's said you're not allowed rifle. to have moderators. You in said. in this state we are actually in our old state California we were not. All right. Well, obviously standard deer stalking equipment in the in the Scottish Highlands a moderator because you, you're trying to make as less noise as you you can when you shoot a stag or a, or a deer or so. Um, we're not so big into handguns. There's been a few farmers I've known that have single shot revolvers which are for humane dispatch. Um, but, um, 
yeah, I had the, the, the rifle, I had the shotgun, I also had a semi-automatic 2-2, which I still technically own. It's being held by someone else because I don't have a license to have it in the house. Um, and they're trying to sell it for me, but they're very unpopular kind of guns. But yeah, that, that was a 10-shot uh, 2-2 semi-automatic rifle. I can't remember the the make of it. It had a bizarre name that it was German. And every time I looked at it, because I have a bit of dyslexia, every time I read it, I read it as Auschwitz because that's how it starts, ASH, you know. Um, but a cracking gun. Um, my youngest used to fire it with me at um, at one of the estates. I used to put up signs saying, like, live firing going on, and we had a, a backstop and a, a thing in some estate houses, uh, sorry, country houses. They have a thing called a ha-ha which is basically a false wall so that when you look out, it looks like your lawn carries on going, but there's a, a drop to stop sheep and, and livestock climbing onto your lawn. Oh, wow. Uh, you'd, have to, you'd have to Google it, um, uh, Victorian okay. ha-has. And they were called ha-has because people used to walk along and, and go uh, and fall off them because they don't realize there's a big drop there. And then people would go, ha-ha. You know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, so that's why they were called ha-ha's about it. But they, they make great backstops. You know, you can have a you've got like it's basically like a Travis, uh, like a, a like if you go to a rifle range, you know how you've got that earthwork yeah. banking that you shoot to. Yeah. So we used to just set up a target on there and then used to measure out 50 meters, 100 meters, 150 meters, 250, you know, and then we used to see who could get the best grouping on, on the target. So that's fun. Yeah. 22s are really fun to shoot. We have, well, I have one. It's our gun, but it's, 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 it's mine. But, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to taking out some squirrel and cottontail with that one out here. Cause it seems like I can just shoot that from, from our window. Yeah, pretty much in, in town where we, where we are, it's such a small town. There's, I think about 400 people here. The sheriff is totally fine with anybody shooting anything 22 and below. So like pellets or 22 is fine. But if you're have a bigger caliber, you got to go out of town into the woods to do that kind of hunting because it's just a little too loud. You know, 22 is still loud, but not quite that loud. So they're okay with that. But yeah. Yeah. And, and, and on a, a survivalist kind of apocalyptic kind of what would you rather carry a uh, hundred rounds of two, two or a hundred rounds of 50 cal, you know? Yeah. You, you that's know, true. Hard pushed. <laughs> You know, a two-two is 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 very underrated as a as a weapon. Uh, there's a guy on YouTube called I think he's called Two-Two Plinker. Oh, I think I've seen that guy. Yeah, and he does the where he does the long the long rifle and he shoots through like um, cast iron skillets and stuff. You know, and you'll see how many shots it takes to penetrate, and he'll use different ammunition types. You know, like hard heads or what you know, uh, dum dums and all the rest of it, or he'll modify uh, certain grains of 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 shell very interesting he's a good shot but i think in a in a in an apocalyptic situation a 2-2 is not a bad option you know you know I think for so. weight and balance like if you were if you were bugging out and you were having to carry rounds and rounds of you know if you could carry like I say you could carry a few hundred rounds of 2-2 easy enough i mean they come I in mean, 100 rounds fits in your pocket doesn't it yeah and you get 100 rounds of 40 cal you know, like um, forty-five, should I say? Uh, that that doesn't quite fit in your pocket, does it? It's a little bit heavier. So, <laughs> you need a bigger pocket. You know, yeah, you're gonna need a bigger pocket, and and you get a decent range on a two-two. You know, and again, if your optics are good, 
uh, and and it's a still day, you know, you can you can still hit someone at a good hundred hundred fifty yards without you know. And again, a two two to a a vital organ still you know, especially in an apocalyptic situation, you know, and no medical around, you, you know, you're probably going to die of an infection if not something else. <laughs> so, That's you know, true. It's a, yeah, yeah it, you know, I think you could be equally as killed with a 2-2 as you can a 50, Jermaine, so. Yeah, I mean, Mossad did that. That's, uh, they use zip guns with 22 rounds and they would just um, approach somebody with a pipe zip gun and boom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, the, the, you know, there's, there's, no, let's, let's not go down that route. As I was going to say, there's a whole heap of ways you can do that to people, but let's <laughs> keep, keep it, keep it civil. Um, when, when I was in the military, my, my job was, uh, I was a weapons technician. So I dealt with uh, small, everything from small arms to big bombs uh, in the air force. So if it went whiz or bang, we dealt with it. And that included the release equipment from the, like the, the release equipment is the, the, pylons on planes you know when you see a bomb being loaded to a plane and you see it hanging from the plane well the thing that keeps it connected to the plane is called release equipment and i i did that i did the bombs below it i did the bullets i did the ejection seats you know i, I did all sorts when i was in uh, i did 13 years great fun and the reason i went to jacksonville was because i was maritime as well so i did uh, three years in a torpedo bay so and and, and got to go to florida for, for my trouble which was nice so wow that is awesome yeah yeah what was the i was gonna ask what's the smallest piece of deadly equipment that you got to work with if you're willing if you're able to speak about it the the smallest slash deadliest Um, yeah i would say the pig stick which is have you ever seen those robotic eod machines and they drive up and and they've normally got like a stick on them haven't they I, th- yeah. I think, yeah, I yeah, like, like, like a metal tube and it goes up and, and then you see it go bang and then, you know, the bomb explodes or, or yeah. low orders, okay. the correct knock to Well, the pig stick, I would say, is probably the most deadliest, smallest device. And basically that is a, a tube with a shotgun cartridge full of water. And basically it fires high pressurized water into the, to whatever you're pointing at. I mean, you have to be close with it. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but that is pretty much what it is. It's a buildup of pressure, and the water comes out, forming basically a, a water slug. Uh, and and they are devastating at close range, and obviously fairly simple to construct. There's not much to that, you know. A, a good solid tube and a, a shotgun cartridge with a good seal, uh, and obviously the obviously the cartridge. You know, you, there's obviously the pressure differential you obviously want the water to go forward and not blow the cartridge back out so like all good guns the breach is where the action happens if the breach fails then the bullet stays the bullet stays stationary and the, and the, the cartridge goes backwards <laughs> do you know what I mean so yeah a good breach locking system and make sure the water goes forward and that'll that'll cause some damage at close range Wow, pig stick. I've never heard it referred yeah, to. Well, that's that what way. we used to call it, the pig stick. Because I think it, they use a similar thing to dispatch livestock yes, in abattoirs. Yeah. To pigs, yeah. 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 So, but I mean, they have bolt guns now, which is obviously a retractable uh, device that can be used multiple times, which is horrendous. I don't, uh, I did, I did, I worked in an abattoir. I wasn't employed by the abattoir. I was employed by a fire alarm company and I went to service the fire alarms in an abattoir. And that was horrendous. You know, that was, you know, 
vegetarian for a week after that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, man. And then, you know, and, and then I and then I got back around to like, you know, it's you know, and I'm a big believer. If you're not prepared to kill the animal to eat it, then you shouldn't be eating it. Uh, and then obviously years later, I was in the Highlands and I was shooting my own deer, uh, my own rabbit, and and stuff, um, pheasant as well. I think I should sent you the video of how to field stripper when you stand on the the wings and just pull it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, did that. So I'm, I'm more than happy if if I wanted to eat something. I'm more than capable of dispatching it and field dressing it for for consumption. And I think if you're not prepared to do that, then you shouldn't be eating meat, you know. But that's, again, that's just me. I agree. I agree. What's your favorite wild game to eat? Oh, it has to be venison. Yeah. Definitely definitely venison. Um, Though, oddly enough, pigeon can be really nice now the 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 odd thing about pigeon is if you you can skin it kind of by sticking your your thumb down the breastbone and peeling the because obviously the breast is about the only thing on a pigeon you can eat the yeah. legs are right. tiny but when you peel it away the the breast comes away in, in a whole piece and it looks like a love heart oh i know oh. and then you oh. put it under a grill and it's lovely <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, over here, um, the, the traditional thing when it's dove season, because doves, similar to pigeons, um, is they take the breast meat and they put it in a jalapeno with cream cheese, and then they wrap that with bacon, and they oh call them dove poppers. Sounds amazing. <laughs> that, that does sound good. Uh, when I used to do my own venison burgers, what I used to do was make two very thin patties and then put cheese and jalapenos as a sandwich. Yeah. Oh, so then, gosh. when you cook it, you end up with melted jalapeno cheese inside the burger. I love that. That's always a good one. Yeah. So you you, you make an order. Uh, the size of the patty is kind of irrelevant. It's how thin you make it, and you make it basically like a pop tart almost. So you fill the burger and then squish it around, and then when you, like say whatever's in the middle, especially the cheese because it melts. The thing you've got to be wary of is obviously hot cheese is hot cheese. So when you bite into it, it's like biting into a freshly cooked pizza if you're not. If you're being stupid and eating it too fast, you end up with your top of your mouth being burnt. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Been there. Safety advice. Safe yeah, safety. I think we've all done that. Yeah. So safety advice for hot cheese eating. Yeah. Don't don't do it. Blow on it. But yeah, making if you start making your own mints, that's that's a good one to try, is the the, the sandwich. Just a little bit of cheese. Whatever cheese. Um we used to get a Mexican cheese here. It's called Mexican cheese. It's probably called something different in America. But it's a cheese with peppers and like black pepper and stuff already in it, so it's kind of grainy. Like you know, um, yeah, is that like I, pepper jack I, cheese? Yeah, yeah, pepper jack cheese. That that yeah, I knew there was another name for it. Uh, I couldn't couldn't get it in my head. But yeah, so you put a slice of that between, and you can imagine that melted between you know a venison burger. That's that's good. Mm. So there you go. You're making, making me hungry. hungry. You're speaking my language, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but and again, you can't you can't beat it if you're sourcing it locally. There was one year, uh, everything on our, and I, I use the term Christmas as in because uh, I think it was our Yule dinner because we celebrate the, the the winter solstice in our house, but we also do Christmas for the kids because well everyone does Christmas. So we but we treat it more like a holiday for giving ourselves the gifts that we don't want to buy ourselves where for Yule, we give each other something meaningful. You know, it's an actual, more of a spiritual thing. Tarot cards, for example, you Mm -hmm. know, 
which yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about tarot cards in a minute. But this one year, um, everything the only there was only two things on the table that we hadn't sourced within about 50 yards of our house, and that was the bottle of wine and the string I'd used to tie the venison up with to make a like a, a, a brisket roll. Everything else was I, I I worked on an estate where I was in charge of the garden and I grew all the vegetables, so all the carrots, the potatoes, the peas, uh, the apples for the apple sauce. It, it was I'd grown it all myself, and we'd shot the deer and we'd butchered the deer and uh, we, we shared. I didn't have a whole deer for myself. We, we there was two other families on the estate, so we shared, you know, the the, the venison. So when we sat down and literally, like I say, the only two things on that table that weren't like produced within feet of the house was the the bottle of wine that we bought and the and the string. So and that was a really nice meal. That was a great meal. Um, and it and I think it tasted better for the fact that you know it was homegrown. And and I went and dug some of it up that morning, ready for you know to go on the table. Uh, and again, now I don't know if it was you I sent the email to or the tweet about clamping. Maybe refresh, where, refresh my memory. It's when you—it's a way of storing vegetables when you've dug them up, but if you're not going to can it, you know, if you're not going to pickle it or whatever, you can bury it again in straw in in the ground, and it keeps. It's almost like a a, a nature's version of um, refrigeration. Oh, and wow. it's called clamp. We, we we call it clamping. I think if you Google vegetable clamping, it'll tell you about it. But I sent that link, and it might have been it might have been to legit bat. You okay. know, they were talking about um, homesteading and the like. But and again, it might have been you. But again, listening to stuff at double speed. <laughs> Yeah. losing track of which podcast i'm listening to especially during the day if it's going straight in and straight out so um but yeah that that's if you start growing your own vegetables and stuff you're probably in the right climate where obviously if you leave them in the ground too long they start to rot or they go to seed you need to dig them up and prevent them from growing anymore but at the same time storing this this is the thing isn't it you, you need to store stuff for the winter and you can do it multiple ways and there's obviously modern ways of doing it where you just freeze it in but if you can do it in a natural way where you put it in a loft on a, a nice airy bed where it dries it slightly or, you know, um, dehydrating it, roasting it very, very, very low on an, in an oven, um, pickling, canning, you know, there's there's a whole litany of ways of preserving food. And people have been doing it for, for centuries, you know, salting, you know, um, but clamping was how we used to do it in, in like on this particular estate, I used to dig lots of stuff up and then I'd dig a hole, line it with straw, put the veg in, put more straw on top and bury it again, you know, and it just lay there under the kind of, I think once you're about six inches down, the frost doesn't get any lower than that, you know, give or take, you know, so um, depending on how bad the weather is, but um, generally speaking, that would keep them for another couple of months enough to, to, to use them up. That's amazing. I've heard of this method and I think I've seen, I don't know, if it was the video you sent, but I've seen a video where people will take a, a steel trash can and bury it in the ground, line it with straw, and then put the top on and put their vegetables, you know, inside where the straw is. Then they'll just cover that up with like a, a bit of a, like a plank of wood or something with yeah. more straw. And that's usually in their barn. So they've dug a hole in their barn. So it's a secure place. It's out of the view of 
animals or critters and they just have to protect it from their animals. And for the most part, you can dig it up like six months, nine months down the road and still fresh potatoes, fresh carrots, whatever you have. Can you use any vegetable? Can you do this to any vegetable or is it just mostly the root vegetables? Um, Yeah, mainly root vegetables. I I used to use it for carrots and potatoes mainly. Uh, Everything else we used to try and um, either freeze in. Um, certain vegetables you need to do a thing called blanching where you kind of just parboil them almost yeah uh, it's to reduce enzymes for when you freeze them otherwise they go bad like you can't recook them they they they, they lose a bit of um uh, they they get bitter and stuff yeah so some vegetables you need to to prep before you freeze some you don't um when you were talking to Andy about the geothermic stuff it triggered a memory there was an old Victorian method of growing pineapples in England, which basically involved a lot of manure and what we would call a cold frame, so like a, a small greenhouse. And basically the composting, you know how com- compost mm-hmm. gets hot, yeah? Yeah, So that's heat. steam. So basically you trap the compost in a, in a container, like a, green, a small greenhouse for want of a better word, or a cold frame as we call them, and that would allow enough heat to grow a pineapple even during the winter months because obviously the compost was feeding the plant but also generating heat within the greenhouse so if i don't know i don't know what you would google for that but you know victorian pineapple growing you know in a dung heap that's uh, and obviously if you get a, a chance to get hold of manure it will and again, if it's not looked after properly, it will burst into flames. <laughs> so yeah. I've seen compost heaps go up. That the, every year in the UK, a compost heap some, somewhere has to be put out by the firemen because it's just sat there rotting and it hasn't been turned over, or someone leaves it too long and then turns it over, exposes a um, exposes it to oxygen. Woof! Up it goes. You know. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it can generate quite a lot of heat. So you've got to be be cautious of that. So. Yeah. Maybe that's something we can look into for us in terms of growing citrus. Growing citrus yeah, here that, is like, it's impossible. I think we've mentioned this before. Um, it's just the temperature yeah. is not ideal. Yeah. 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 Well, see, I don't think everything's impossible. I mean, like there's, mm-hmm. like Andy was saying, we're in a technical, you know, if you've got the pocketbook, you can grow anything anywhere. Yeah. What we're trying to do is do that with no budget, you know, and things like, natural composting to generate heat there's an option a decent greenhouse that's a good option very minimal heat required to warm a greenhouse up you know um a solar gain obviously how a greenhouse works you know if, if you can just hit that nice balance you could probably get away with growing stuff that you wouldn't normally get in your environment whether you could pull it off with a citrus tree i don't know uh, though that said when um when i was in the highlands of scotland fairly fairly north in scotland i did have a peach tree in a greenhouse and i used to get peaches off that on a regular like every year and i had to cut that when i first took over the estate the tree was actually growing through the greenhouse as in i had to cut it down replace the glass and then i had to i googled like peach trees in greenhouses and I found a lovely website uh, explained how you, you you prune it in a way that it ends up being almost like a peacock feather, like a peacock tail, you know, like, so you span it out like a big fan. And the trick is to have the 
the branches far enough off the glass because a peach grows against glass it bruises yeah and then starts to rot so and the, the tricky thing with a peach tree is you need to pick the fruit before it falls off <laughs> you know or have something to catch that you know because they bruise so so easily so i used to go in and just touch them gently just you know they fell off in my hand that was great and then some nights you know i'd go I, i'd I'd go up in the first thing in the morning and find half a dozen all on the on the floor, and you're like, "Damn it!" You know, should have picked them last night. But uh, yeah, so I have grown a peach tree, or or I had a peach tree that grew, and that was in the north of Scotland. So wow, that's I, awesome. I don't think anything's possible. I think so. Just a bit of engineering, like you say. But the geothermic, see again, like when you mentioned the geothermic, that's where that's how clamping works. You 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 dig far enough down that the the the, the frost doesn't get down to whatever you've buried. And there is a, and I can never remember if it's six inches or so, but generally speaking, once you're down far enough, frost doesn't generally penetrate as, as far down as people think it does. So that's how hobbit holes work, isn't it? If you, that's true. If you, um, when we did our MBC drills in the military, which uh, like they recommend a minimum of six inches of dirt above your head for like a nuclear blast and stuff you know to to stop for fallout or something you know and you're like six inches doesn't sound a lot but it's it's a fair it's a fair amount you know it's half a foot all, all of a sudden but that you know it, sometimes it doesn't take a lot to give you the, the 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 benefits of whatever it is you're trying to do like insulate or or protect i mean sandbags i mean sandbags are a fantastic um I don't know, like a protective material for for water and bullets. Do you know what I mean if you, if you when we have flooding in the UK, it's always sandbags that are deployed, you know, to to redirect rivers and stuff. And at the same time, if some if you're hiding behind a sandbag and someone's shooting at you, that's yeah, that's good. You know, that'll help you. Wow, only six inches of dirt to protect against nuclear fallout. I mean, if a desk can protect us, yeah, <laughs> Dro- drop you know. and cover, drill. Well, yeah, duck and cover, duck and cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I'd have, to, I'd have to go through some of my i've got an old manual somewhere i'll have to dig it out but yeah um it, yeah it's not a great deal that, that they recommend but I, I think sometimes it was more to uh keep you busy while you were yeah. dying you know just just to take your mind <laughs> off it <laughs> oh my well, it's like the oxygen <laughs> mask on the plane bury yourself you know yeah you know, no no funny it's like the so, oxygen mass in the planes that that just pumps oxygen. Yeah. Oxygen gets you high, so you can be satisfied when you're dying. Absolutely, that's that's it. Yeah, not an oxygen rich environment, or, or they're trying to get you to breathe as much as it in because it's highly flammable, and when you crash, there's less of it to explode. Oh shit! So, you know, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't yeah, think about get, that. Get, I didn't get, think about suck that. Suck that in. Suck that in. Yeah, there'll be uh... no, no. Sorry, air- aircraft fuel. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is okay so what is the deal with uh jet fuel do you think that's well, real can, right well this this is one of the the conspiracies that i have the hardest trouble um i'm, I'm not saying i disbelieve it I'm, I'm sure technology's moved on greatly but i i one of my first jobs in in the air force was i was on the flight line and i used to refuel fighter jets and I used to put fuel in planes. So I know fuel goes in planes because if a seal breaks, you get covered in fuel. So I know fuel is a thing. Now, whether modern day ramjets use some fuel to just get going and then, you know, the the air compression then takes over, I can see how that works, you know, 
I can see that they don't use as much fuel as they pretend they do, most definitely. Um, I'm not beyond believing that. Whether I believe that jet fuel just doesn't exist, no, because like I say, I've definitely used it. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, uh, I. But then I again, could. that was uh, that was a few years back. Uh, I came out in '99, so you know what they're doing now. But I, I bet if I went to an air force base. I'd still see fuel trucks driving around with guys plugging them in. So maybe, maybe small jets need it. Maybe they don't have the, they need that kind of acceleration. They need that quick fire burst where commercial jets need what enough oomph to get off the ground. And then once they start cruising, then that's a whole different, you know, it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? So I, 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 I can see both. Yeah. I, I could, I could certainly, um, I'm at a stage in my life now where if you tell me something, I, I don't just go, nah, that's rubbish. You know, yeah. I definitely have to think about it. I definitely think, and I'll say, well, have you got anything to back that up? Have you got anything to tell me why you think that way? I certainly don't shoot anyone down for any kind of random theory, even, you know, mountains being melted buildings. I, I'll, I'll have that, you know, quite happily with that. Talking of, oh, I don't have the camera. I've got an old, I've got a book right next to my bed, and it's called The Atlas of Atlases. And what I'm trying to do is take some pictures from old maps. And I can't remember the oldest one I found, but it was, I'm going to say 17 something. And I found an old map in this atlas of atlases where it has Tartaria like written on the map, you know, and I'm, and there's some earlier maps and the writing's tiny and they're obviously scanned or photographed images that are in the book. And my new phone has a macro uh, camera option you know where you can zoom right in on stuff or, or i need to go and buy myself a big magnifying glass because i'm sure tartaria is on some older maps but i can't actually read it because it's like tiny 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 writing um, i'll send you a picture of the book but I've, I've taken pictures of it before um funnily enough the wife bought herself a pencil sharpener in the shape of a globe and i think she did that just to wind me up um, but on that globe itself the area where Russia would be, it says Tataria on it because it's designed oh, wow. as an old, it's designed as an old, it's, it's deliberately made to look like an old globe. Yeah. Uh, and when I first looked at it and I went, oh, says Tataria on it. How bizarre. And it was just something she just randomly bought as a, you know, for sharpening pencils, but it, and it sat on my desk for a while. Uh, and then I don't know where it is at the moment, because obviously with the house move, um, we're still, still unpacking at the moment. So, and segue into unpacking yesterday the wife went into the little town that we live next to and she found a tiny little shop that sells tarot cards so can you mind i sent you a picture of the the tarot i was in a shop called uh, house of gaia in a place called peebles and i sent you a picture with the tarot cards and i think you spotted the native american one i did yes and i and i said i'll buy that as a housewarming well I'll still hold true to that. When you buy your own house or you move into your actual house, you can either choose a tarot deck, which I'll send to you, or I will randomly choose a tarot deck to send to you for a, as a as a gift for your Ooh. your housewarming. Oh man, Rob, that is awesome! Really appreciate that. I think option two is very intriguing. Yeah, kind of like that. I'll just be be me, just vibing with something as yes. as Hatter does. I'll just walk in and just close my eyes, spin around and just grab something. Yes. I like that. <laughs> and then get arrested. Yeah. <laughs>
no, no I, yeah, I can do that. I, I, would, I would like to do that. I think that because the synchronicities when you share the same anniversary as me and my wife, the 13th of October, which is, I was like, when you were talking about it, I was like, no, you can't surely, you know? But like I say, we, we met on a, on a Friday, the 13th of October. And then I think it was six years later, we decided to get married on a Friday the 13th because if we didn't do it then, it was, you know, how calendars work. It would have been, you know, 2026 before another Friday the 13th came around or something stupid anyway. So we decided to do it six years after we met. So that, that all worked out quite nicely. I love so that. So it was a very significant date. And then obviously you moved, you were planning to move next year well this year should i say weren't you 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 had a longer term plan which you accelerated yes and at the same time you decided to accelerate your plans i had a run-in with my boss and i said you know what i don't need this job i've got my own house to move to and that's what i did so we both kind of ended up moving almost at the same time at about the same time as well about sort of like october time wasn't it give or take around yeah. that ballpark yeah so yeah interesting that is but, that is so cool mm. I love the synchronicities yeah. in this life. I, 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 yeah, I've I've had I've had a few recently. You know, like you say, where you're thinking of something, and then the next thing, someone mentions it on a, on a podcast. You know, like like when you talk about. Um, I was thinking of stone circles, and on a lot of stone circles and some ancient monoliths, there are what they call cup marks and spirals, uh, and they just seem to be random divots and this spiral pattern that seems to be very common in neolithic and and um, structures where they've literally made this curve like a a spiral and again i can't remember which podcast i was listening to but they were on about the akishtic records and they said one guy he said oh one explanation he says imagine it's like the grooves of a record and once you're in the groove you follow that's how you follow it in and i remember listening and i thought stones with spirals carved into them so and then that triggered another thought about the tower of babel because oddly enough i'm not christian but since i've researched flat earth and there's a lot of christians in flat earth i've learned more about the bible from that side and the the babel story fascinates me because i'm at a point now where i think that all religions have a key element to the truth and that's another divide and conquer you know so all the pagan neolithic monuments that christians won't go to because that's you know devil worship and heathens we don't want to be associated with that and pagans don't want to go into churches because well they stole all the land and were nasty to us in the past so we don't want to talk to those guys but somewhere in the middle, there's a truth. And I think every every single religion, which you could call a religion a language, a language of worship, has a key point that needs to be added together. So if you take, um, I don't know, like our winter, uh, our winter festival calendars of, of um, celebration there's eight pagan ones which are basically you know like your, your summer solstice your winter solstice your um the, the the vernal equinoxes you know harvest festivals that they're all pretty much the same as the christian ones but that they're just kind of celebrated differently but the wheel of life and the wheel of the year i think is 
kind of key to understanding the reality in which we live in. Does that make sense? I think so. And I, and I think, I think, I think every religion holds a crucial key that if, if people studied the other, the other person's perspective more intently without dismissing it, they might tie two together by saying, ah, I've, I'm familiar, a bit like the occult rejects when he you know, say, oh, if you see this symbol, you suddenly realize that you're seeing it everywhere. But that um, it's like the internet. Is the internet, the Akashic records manifested? Because apparently we've got access to every bit of information ever, ever, ever. Do you mean? So is that what we're, is that the, is that the AI that we've hit all of a sudden? Do you know what I mean? Like we, if you need to know something, you can just type it into your phone and you'll get some kind of answer, whether it's the truth or not is neither here nor there, but you will get some kind of answer. And then does that answer then become um, manifest in its own right, where you get a point in time where even if something's wrong, because everyone assumes it's right, they just stick with that. And there's a lot of things like that, that, you know, you know, when you hear, and I'm trying to think of a good example now. There's, uh, it's like the the classic. What well, this is a classic. I don't know if you remember this. You hear the story: the woman that sued McDonald's because her coffee was too hot. Yes, I remember that yeah. one. <laughs> but, right, and people go, "Oh, you know, did she not know the coffee was hot?" But then when you read the story, you find that that story is not true. She she did sue them, and it was because the coffee was hot. But there is way more. There is way more nuance to that story than just someone spilling hot coffee down the front. Yeah, there was, you know, the 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 shop in question had been pulled up for their coffee being too hot. It was, you know, like a hundred and something degrees when it should have been at eighty. Jermaine, their their machine was faulty, so it was too hot. Yeah, um, they didn't use the right lids, and you know, there was a whole litany of little things. And after they'd once she burnt herself and went back and said, I've you know your coffee's too hot, I've been burned, maybe you need to look at your machine. She got fobbed off and then, and then you know, she was treated that badly, she decided to sue them. Do you mean? Uh, and so when you read the story, you suddenly, you see a bigger picture and you suddenly say to yourself, yeah, they've summarized it into one little line and it's now become, and I, I can't remember the, the phrase now, but um, urban legend. Is you know you get this urban legend now where someone didn't realize that coffee was going to be hot even though the the cup says hot coffee and they managed to get some money out of someone because they were stupid and but the truth is far more in depth than that but do you see what I mean so people read something on the internet therefore it's true you know um, horse paste you know that is now paradoxically the, the, you know when you say ivermectin people go oh that's a horse dewormer when it isn't it, it's been used as a horse with dewormer don't get me wrong but there is far more involved in that statement than people give it credit for and like I say you can google these things and you can find the you know the first hit oh that's the first hit horse paste brilliant that's you know i don't need to read any further because that agrees with my narrative you need to be open-minded and you need to look further than and maybe go outside of your comfort zone to investigate stuff that you 
would initially have a knee-jerk reaction to. Agreed. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I was going to say headlines these days. That's exactly how the news is where they give you a piece of the article. It's probably not even true, not even in the article, but people just look for that quick headline just to get an idea of what's going on in the situation when in reality you get to the bottom of the article and it's something completely different that has nothing to do with what the headline's stating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little, it, because of cell phones <laughs> and because of the instant gratification kind of culture that we're in now where you get a notification no matter what happens on your phone or on TV or whatever, people look for answers right away. And as soon as they see something that, like you said, satisfies their narrative, they just go, ah, got it. That's it. They don't look past it. And I think even for us in the truth community, we even have to question our own thinking on certain things. And that's kind of, and I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. When I first looked into flat earth, mm. I thought that was stupid. I was like, nah, how can they believe? Come on. That's just there to discredit the truth community. And then I started looking into it and giving it the time of day. And it's like, oh, you know what? I actually don't know what shape the earth is. And I don't even know what is in space. I just know what I'm told. And once I found out that like NASA lies about everything and they basically create uh, CGI images of planets and stars and all kinds of things, then they could pretty much tell us whatever they want. They spend 50, what, 52 billion a, a day or 52 million a day or something like that. Some crazy number. You could be doing anything with that money and be completely unaccountable to the public because you're doing it out of the public eye and you're just producing images and saying things that you believe are true or you, you want people to believe are true. So after that, it's like you look into the moon and then you realize, oh, we never went to the moon. You look into astronauts and most of them were Freemasons and you're like, well, what's going on here? And then you realize you've been sold a bill of goods and you've believed it wholeheartedly your whole life going into this. So, you know, when I was younger, I went to church and we were told in church we were the center of the universe and that God made this world for us. And so we have to take care of it, be a good steward to this world. And they didn't focus on the shape because they focused on the intention. The intention is, you know, we are here in this realm to be stewards of this realm and to live a, a full, happy, healthy, good life and get closer to whatever source, you know, is giving us life. And as soon as you start with your education they tell you about the ball. They tell you about the globe. They tell you these scientists did this. There's rockets that went in space and da 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 da. And it's not until you you give yourself that that moment of reprieve where you can step back and realize, oh, I actually don't know any of this stuff. I've just been told this stuff. And then when you look into it, you realize I'm wrong about a lot of things. And so what would happen to kind of wake you up out of that to where you realize this isn't the world that I've been taught. I think very similar to, to yourself when I think the first time it dawned on me was I was listening to, uh, and I'm going to say the Kev Baker show and Chris Gio was on and he brought up, it was back in six years ago now, maybe seven when flat earth started to kind of be banded around and the point Chris Geo was making was you can't have the discussion. And I think that's what made me think about it because I thought you're right. Because you say to someone, think the earth's flat, you're shut down 
instantly. That is not even entertained as a discussion. And that was the point he was making, was that even in the truth community, we should be at least willing to look into information and evidence open-mindedly and objectively. And he got laughed at a little bit, and he didn't make he didn't make some very good points again. Very early days now, but since then, the argument has progressed to the point now where professional, as it were, professional globe defenders on YouTube have actually had to concede points, and they're now arguing that the horizon doesn't exist. It is a, um, it is, an oh, think of the word now it's not it's an apparent horizon and not a geometric horizon where a few years ago it was most definitely a geometric horizon and that is why boats went over it and since they've been proven wrong they've backtracked to the point now where they don't even they deny that they even said it was geometric they said oh we've always said it's atmospheric we've all no you didn't we've got it all recorded you've changed your tune you've changed your standpoint and slowly but surely, they're losing ground because ultimately they default to slander and ridicule because they've got nothing else. And that's that's the tricky bit that, you know, once, you know, slander becomes the enemy of the sorry, slander becomes the tool of the user when the argument is lost, as they say, you know, so it, it's been a fascinating journey, I must admit, to to look into it and, and follow it. And I'm still I still laugh that um, one of the first things uh, a Globo would start their argument with is by trying to tell me the Globe model as if I didn't know that, you know, I'm 52 years old. I was raised with it. You know, I know it. In fact, I probably know it better than a lot of Globers now. I know, you know, the, the circumference, you know, you're all the stuff that when you ask a globe and say, well, how fast are we spinning at the equator? Well, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? How, how, what's the circumference of the earth? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? And they say, well, if you're going to argue with me about the whole shape, best you know what you're arguing about before you start, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things, you know, it's like that when I, everyone remembers nine 11, you know, um, prior to nine 11, I remember being taught at school that the Kennedy assassination couldn't have happened the way that it was portrayed because of all, you know, the magic bullet, the angle, the rifle he used. Uh, it was impossible to fire that many rounds in that short a time, you know, because of the the action. You know, I, I can't remember the full details, but, you know, the action takes like two seconds to cycle and he fired three three rounds in, you know, two seconds or whatever. And they were like, no, no, you can't do it with that gun. It's, you know, it's impossible. So there must have been multiple shooters all that sort of stuff. And I remember learning that at school. And when I I'd got back from London, I went to go into the bank. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon or thereabouts. And the doors were locked. And the, the lady opened the door and she went, oh, I'm sorry, we've, we've got new security measures because a plane has hit a bank in America. Right. And I'm like, a plane. I was thinking, oh, I'll be a little, you know, like a little Cessna or something from a local airport's crashed into a building. I go home. And like most people, I turn the telly on, and the first thing I see is the second plane hitting a building. Yeah, and I and I seen that, and I was like, "Oh my God, what you know, what's happening in the world?" And then when the first tower came down, I instant as soon as I see, bear in mind, I you know I've dealt with explosives a lot in my in my past. I went, 
that's a con controlled demolition, that is. And I thought, because you Americans are so clever, that when you built them, you might have had charges pre-done in case they ever needed to be brought down in a controlled fashion. And then when they started saying, oh, no, it was like the heat from the, you know, the office fire. And, and, and I was like, no, no one's believing this. And I thought any second now, the BBC is going to pull the American news teams apart and say, no, mate, that was controlled. What are you playing at? But no, they started singing the same tune. And I thought, we're fucked. Quite literally, I thought, yeah, everyone's in on it. It's it's such a big scam. And I couldn't believe what I was witnessing unfold in front of me with the, the, the whole narrative and and the the, the the obvious lies, the indestructible passport, you know, the, the Pentagon being hit by a plane. And again, aerodynamically impossible for a 757 to pull off that maneuver at that altitude. It come in that low, that fast, and then, what, disappear? No. No, no. I, I've uh, Part of the mountain rescue uh, job in the Air Force is to recover planes. That's why it was developed, the mountain rescue team. It wasn't for rescuing stranded students on Ben Nevis. We do that as training. But the whole point of mountain rescue was to go and recover pilots that had ejected out of crashes. And I don't think you can find anywhere in history, even when a plane has flown directly into a mountain, that nothing is left. Yeah? Yeah. There's always it's impossible. Yeah? And then they said that that plane hit the Pentagon and disappeared even the engines that are designed for the heat of burning jet fuel melted or whatever jermaine and how many cameras are on that building Millions. and yet people just don't they they can't the cognitive distance to deny that it could potentially have been a cover-up now that's the argument do we say planes no planes deaths no deaths or do we say we've been lied to on a huge scale the minutiae this is back to what we started at the like at the beginning of the show almost that's where the minutiae starts to muddy the water and everyone starts infighting over who what and why when the one thing we should all be agreeing on is the official narrative is bullshit yes. and why is it bullshit now the government still have an out they can come and say well, we had to lie because X, Y, and Z. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure they could spin it. You know, aliens did it, and we didn't want to, fret, you know, worry everyone. You know, precursor to Blue Beam. You know, they say, fair enough. You know, thanks for letting us know. But no, that they don't. That they lie all the time, and I, I don't understand why people. If you were to stop most people in the street and say, "Do you think the government lied to you?" I would think about 98% of people would say yes. Yeah. If you just stopped as a, a straw poll and asked that question, most people say, yeah, they're, they're always lying. Say, so, do they cheat and lie about their incomes? And do you think they falsify accounts and, you know, uh, expenses? Most people, again, I think a good 98% of people would say, absolutely. And then you say, do you think they're using the COVID narrative to line their own pockets? No, they wouldn't do that. Why not? Why not? You know, you've just admitted that you think they lie and cheat and don't tell the truth. But all of a sudden, yeah, they couldn't do that. You, you just contradicted yourself. No, no, they, they lie and cheat all the time. Oh, man. Um, absolutely, all the time. 
And like I say, if, if you asked any normal person any day of the week whether they think the government can or would lie to them about something, I think a good a good solid 90% of people would say, yes, the government lie a lot. And then you say, do you think they're lying about this? And then they'll say, no. Because nine times out of 10, they'll say, because the media would expose it. That's the other, that's the fallback, isn't it? You know, the government wouldn't lie to us because the media would tell us they were. Say, well, unless they were, <laughs> unless the, the media were being told by the government what to say. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just a big circle jerk and people don't see it. And But once you do see it, you know, um, when I, on the very rare occasion I watch the news, I listen for what they don't say. And I always listen for things being said out of context or with no context. For example, you know, the, the death rate doubled today. Did it? So what was it yesterday? Well, they don't tell you what it was yesterday. It was one yesterday and it was two today. So it's doubled. But it sounds impressive. You know, it's gone up yeah. 100%, don't you know? Wow. I need to be really scared. Hang on. What was the numbers? Oh, yeah. It was like, yeah, one. And it's now doubled to two. That's 100%. Do you know I mean you're like, no. No, no, don't don't say it like that. Then don't say it in such a dramatic way that I'm now pissing myself, you know, scared <laughs> yeah. to leave the house because I think people are dropping dead everywhere. No context. It's like when they bring out financial figures and they'll say GDP was uh, up three percent, but you know, overall it was down one percent from last year. And you go, but I, but what was it last year? And is and you know what percentages are like? They're great things because. Um, 1% of 100 is 1, and that's your G let's say 1 was your GDP from last year, but your GDP is 200 the next year, and you've gone up by half a percent, that's still 1, but it's down by half a percent because last year it was 1%. But it's the same. You haven't told me what the number was. You've just given me random figures. You know, they, they do it all the time on the news. They'll, they'll, they, they always give you non-contextual information but make it sound the way they want to sound. And when you try and point that out to people, they go, no, 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 they're saying it's down, so it must be down. You say, well, but is it down overall? You know, what was the figure before? You know, this is this is what I don't get. But once you start seeing it, it, it becomes incredibly annoying to watch them say stuff without saying stuff or say stuff in a way that could be misinterpreted a multitude of ways. And they just love doing it. And they're very good at it. I can't can't fault them. Can't fault them for saying not good at it. Yeah. That reminds me of conversations I would have with an old coworker about we could agree that yeah, the government's lying to us, something is up. But then I would ask, Oh, what about the moon landing? And she would take a step back and be like, Why would they fake that? <laughs> and not just the media would expose it, but the other the other um thing people like to say is, How could that many people be in on it? You know, how could that many people cover that up? Like it's, yeah. (laughs) This, this is something that they'll say, this is, um, and I can't remember the name of the, the, the research that was done for it, but people say, oh, you couldn't do it because too many people would know and they can't keep secrets. Right. And they always refer to a study where a guy came up with, and he said, basically, the the moon landing would only remain a secret for something like 10 years if you work on how many people worked at NASA, blah, blah, blah. 
and how many would have been in on it and then you divide this and he had a little mathematical formula and i can't remember the guy's name but it's he'd come up with this basically a formula for figuring out how long any kind of hidden truth could last bearing in mind how many people were involved in it now this is the fun bit they always quote this and they say yeah yeah if it was if it was a, a, a if they had faked it we would have known within 10 years for example and then when you read the article it would have been 10 years of all 5,000 people were in on it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But further down the article, the, the fewer people that were in the know, the longer and longer the disclosure becomes. And then all of a sudden, you're at, you hit a point where you say, I wonder how many, let, let's say there was only 10 people that really were in the know. Because they said at uh, one point during the simulations, the... Uh, control room said that the simulations were that good they couldn't tell the difference between the simulation and the real thing so how many people would need to know about flicking the switch that it was a simulation versus it actually happening yeah so if you suddenly filter that down to let's say even if it was a hundred people were in on it how many of those people are still alive now and how many of those people died you know mysteriously car crashes heart attacks jermaine and and i can't remember i'm sure it's one of your either one of your presidents or one of your cra directors said famously the best way to keep a secret between two people is to kill one of them yeah or something like that I'm, I'm that's probably george bush but basically that's that's how you keep a secret a secret between two isn't a secret yeah it, it, that that was basically the gist of it uh and you only have to look at certain people's body counts in regards to people that are going to testify or have information or were in a position to know something that they shouldn't how many of those people have mysteriously had an accident um hung themselves whilst on suicide watch in a 24-hour surveilled cell you know what i mean and people still don't get it it's like the jelaine maxwell trial uh yeah guilty she's going to jail apparently Will we see her in jail? I don't know. Can we see the court records and the indictments and stuff? Sealed. Why? Why sealed? Why can't we know what was said? She's obviously guilty, and obviously people have been, you know, at the Pfizer um, studies. Was it 50 years they want to have that? 75. 75. Yeah. Do you mean? Nothing to hide. And this, this is the other irony that gets me. The government will say, if you've got nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. They say, well, can I have a look at your laptop then, Mr. Prime Minister? Absolutely not. Why not? Right, right. <laughs> Just no, you know, of course you can't because I've got something to hide. This this is the double-edged sword that, they, that they'll tar you with one brush and not accept responsibility for what they're saying. I, I, that really goats me. And, I, and you see that hypocrisy constantly, day in, day out, and you, especially in this last two years where you can show people video footage of uh, a doctor saying one thing one week and then saying another the next week, and you say, well, he, was he lying then or is he lying now? And they go, oh, well, the, 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 the science has changed. It, the information is different, so he's now giving you the up-to-date information. And then the next week he's saying something completely different. And you say, right, so can we all agree that they don't know? At least let's agree that they don't know, you know? And they say, oh, no, 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 you know, it's it's fluid. They're, 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 they're new information, new information. 
He said, no, no, they're lying. You can tell they're lying because their lips are moving. Yeah. Yeah. If a politician is breathing, they're lying. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I was, this, this is a, a bit of a personal story and it's a bit of a sad story. Um, yesterday, uh, the wife's sister phoned to wish everyone happy new year. And they were talking on the phone and she was saying how uh, after her second jab and her booster, she's now got this breathing issue where she can't breathe properly and she has a pain in her chest. Uh, and she's very fit. Generally, she's fit and active. She used to walk, you know, 20, 30 miles daily almost, you know, because she's retired and that's what she likes to do. Um, and now she can't get down to the village to the, you know, she'd only get half the distance and then she's out of breath. And, and she said it's ever since she had the second jag and the booster. And she went to her old place of work where a colleague of hers said exactly the same. And he said, did you start getting this chest pain after you had the booster? She said, yes. And he said, so did I. And then he said that was someone else in the village also has the same chest problem with the breathing and the, and the, you know, the, the painful breathing, uh, almost like a, a stress on their chest. So I listened to that conversation and at the end of that conversation, my wife says, oh, well, I've got my booster booked for the 4th of January. Oh, my gosh. And I know. And I was like, you just listened to your sister tell you a vaccine injury story, a personal one, backed up by other people from the same village with the same issues. And you're still going. You can't you can't fight that. Can you? Yeah. No. And you're like, okay, well, let's just hope you get the placebo or the saline. Do you mean that's all I can do? Because every time I mention it, I'm I'm the crazy one. I'm the crazy one, despite her having first-hand personal recounts of a vaccine injury. <laughs> and I was like, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. I can't help you any further than what I've done. And it's it's kind of a worry. And I'm sure there's more than just me out there. If anyone else is listening, I'm sure there's hundreds of guys. And, and women that have got partners or significant others that are 100% hook, line, and sinker bought into the whole narrative. And they can't see it because now they've, they, they're so Stockholmed into it that they can't, they can't break out. And, and that's, that's what worries me the most, I think, yeah. about the whole how easy people were duped and how difficult it is to convince them that they've been duped. Yeah. So unfortunately it'll be an interesting two two thousand and twenty two. Uh, that's for certain. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. There it's it, it really honestly doesn't matter your education level or anything. It's easier to fool somebody than to convince them they've been fooled because you know, I worked in the medical field before I left and most of my bosses were licensed pharmacists or I I guess I don't know what you call them chemists in the UK and um they they are very highly educated people and i pointed out that why is this booster even a thing if the first two work and they're like well you know it's like the flu shot you get the flu shot every year and i'm like but this isn't the same as the flu shot you know that right this is an mrna vaccine the flu shot is a attenuated live vaccine they're different they function differently and if those are only 40 to 60 percent effective which they are they're not i mean that's the that quote they gave us then why would you get a third shot? I mean, that if if the two first two don't work, 
the third one's definitely not going to work either. I'm like, you have to admit that. And when I brought that up to them, they're like, oh, you're just paranoid. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the one getting the shot. You're the one getting the shot. I'm not paranoid. I'm worried about you. You know, that I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with me. I haven't been sick in two years, but they have. And that's the thing is they've gotten the shot and they get sick. And then they wonder, oh, these dang unvaccinated, they're getting me sick. It's just like, then your vaccine doesn't work, right? Isn't that how that works? Like, I mean, like you just duped yourself into putting something in your body and you didn't think about it. And now you want us to dupe ourselves because you want us to be fools like you. Well, I'm, I'm done being fooled. I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that'll be, sadly, I think that'll be the, the narrative of 2022 will be, uh, the, the new variant which happens to have the same symptoms as vaccine side effects. I think that'll be the big push. Yeah, the new variant causes heart issues or blood clots, or and that's what they'll say is happening. People who are dying of heart attacks or blood clots, they'll say it's because of this terrible new variant that's worse, completely going against the whole virology of how viruses work by getting weaker and weaker and more infective, uh, infectious, I say. Um, which is how they've always worked, but all of a sudden they seem to get more, more and more virulent. Do you mean? Uh, but and I think that'll be a a story we'll see more and more often is the variant causes X, Y, or Z, uh, and people will say, "Oh, well, and how can we combat it? Get another vaccine, get another booster," and then that'll just you know perpetuate it. And I, I have no idea what the end goal is. I think being aware is your best armor in these situations and just having your head on a swivel in regards to narrative talking points and sublines, you know, that where you read the headline and there's always a line underneath that says something, you know, yeah. um, back in what we have now. So back in 2000, I took a picture. I put I post it around Twitter every now and again because I drew a circle around it, and it said, "You know, UK government give themselves emergency powers for two years." And I said, then back in two thousand and twenty, I said, "Oh, they why would they give themselves two years worth of emergency powers if they weren't expecting this to last two years?" And again, ah, conspiracy nut job. I'm still posting that picture, and we're still <laughs> two years later. You're like, yeah, well, they said they had emergency powers for two years. Why would they grant themselves two years worth of emergency powers if they didn't think they were going to need them for two years? You know, but here we are two years later and they're still beating the same drum. And um, I think more people are coming around. I'm hearing more stories of people that said, like, no, no, I got my two vaccines. I'm not having a booster. Yeah, I was promised I wouldn't have to wear a mask and I could fly away on holiday, you know, and that and that that promise has been pulled from under people's feet and i think people some people are getting more aware and then i hear other conversations where people are like oh did you hear about the new variant oh i'm not gonna go out i'm staying in i'm gonna you know and you think oh my god jermaine how how can you not see it you know and i i i, I think sam Tripoli said it best i think when he said people have got so scared of dying they've forgotten how to live you know I think that's one of, I think it was Sam that said that. And he, and he says that now and again, but he, he's right. You know, we didn't used to be this fearful of flu season or um, chicken pox or whatever, you know. I mean, flu season. I mean, where did flu go? You know, 
used to kill more people than anything else and then all of a sudden it took a day off and then and then i think i think one of your headlines now is the flu's making a return after you know they've actually said that in the yep. paper oh yep. the flu's now making a return after taking a year off what do you mean taking a year off are you mad do you mean but people will buy into it they'll say oh you know and then what was the new one flu flu rona <laughs> a combination of flu and corona you're like oh, oh my God. give me a break can you not see it if you can't can you just not see it i don't know you can't some people are beyond help i mean then we're into the whole are they are they npcs are they actually real people you know are some of the people you're sat next to on the bus are they actually just a digital avatar just to fill in the spaces you know... are you too real yeah. <laughs> i hope so yeah, well, I hope so. But I think I think there's more of us getting out there. So I which, think again, so. And, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, and like obviously with the house move and everything, and I I procrastinated about starting the podcast again, and I made all sorts of excuses for not doing it, and then hat tip to Conspiracy Kyle again. Um, he did a few um, just five minute chats from his car, and I suddenly thought, oh, I'm actually with my new job i actually have to commute 20 minutes sometimes half an hour depending on traffic uh i thought i can plug my headphones in hit record and i can just talk in the car the quality might not be great but if i do that there and back again that's a 40 minute chat and i could maybe yeah. just get things off my chest yeah and i could do that weekly i could probably do it daily you know if there's i mean there's plenty to talk about these days so I'm going to start utilizing that time in the car to hopefully allocate the time for the podcast. That's kind of, you know, and again, so I've been making excuses for not starting it for months now. And then I was driving along, listening to yourselves talk about something. And someone basically said, we need to, you know, if you want to say something, say something, because the more people that say something, the chances are, again, you might just, say the right thing for that one person to hear something and if it's the right person in the right place they can make the whole difference you know that guy with a couple of million pounds in his bank account he doesn't know what to do with give it to charlie robinson give it to false reality check (laughs) help them help them spread the word do you mean that's all it takes isn't it you just need that it's just that one small pebble that starts rolling down the hill that starts the avalanche that's that's what we need we just need that momentum and once that momentum starts i don't think it'll stop but i think we're just at the moment we're on a scree slope and there's lots of pebbles all skittering down but nothing big's moving but i think the movement might start sooner than later but it's it's whether it'll start this year or part way through the year or whether they go full tilt and realize they've got nothing to lose and everything to gain and then go like say full tilt at the whole thing that's that's where we're at i think yeah i agree 100 percent. but yeah like us two and you getting out there talking just getting stuff off your chest there is some one person out there that will resonate with it and one or two you never know might be a hundred people who knows but it feels good to get it off your chest and at the same time you're helping someone else hear what they need to hear it's uh it's a wonderful thing 
I love it. And I'm glad you're going to be revamping your yeah, podcast, getting into it again. Um, let's get, let's get into your songs real quick. Cause that's something we do on our podcast. We like to ask our oh, guests. Yeah. Sent, um, I was amazed that you hadn't heard of conspiracy music guru when Dave was on. Yeah. So, and I was like, you don't. And I thought, Oh, you won't even know about David J. Karen. Never so, heard of this one um, either. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Jethro Tull fan. Uh, and I thought, no, no, I'll, what I've been listening to a lot is David J. Karen. And he hit the scene uh, a couple of years ago with that to the edge of the earth. And the video for that's great. Cause it's all bits of like master and commander. And it's all about uh, cook's journey to the edge of the world as it were. Um, but he's brought out some really good ones. And I thought, well, if I just give you the three, the three favorite ones that I listen to most, which is obviously end of the world, Stratosphereus, which is the one about August Picard, and Only One Moon, uh, which um, what's the word? I was going to say affects me the most, but it strikes a chord with me the most because it's obviously about a soldier that goes to war, and no matter who you're fighting for or where you're fighting, you're still under the same moon, and and obviously the moon's got significance for multiple reasons, but the the lyrics to that are very good i think and any song involving the military always strikes a chord with me because i was in the military for a while and and it just i understand that mental process that camaraderie that you have when you're out in the field in a situation where you're hoping that the guy next to you doesn't let you down and ultimately you want to be the guy to the other guy's side and you don't let him down and unless you've been in that situation, I don't think you can explain it to people that well. And my hope is that a lot of uniform professions will fall down on the right side of who they should be looking after and not who's just paying the wages. That's again, it's a hope and we've got to have that white pill moment. Agreed. Yeah, it will get better. People will, this upcoming year, I feel like it's going to make or break a lot of people. And whether they wake up or not, it's going to be up to them. But I think a lot of people will wake up this upcoming year and fight back against this bullshit that's being thrown at us from every every day, every freaking hour, whatever. For sure. Yeah. And people like us, we're... We're talking, and yeah, we might be talking to the void. We're not talking to anybody right now. We're just recording, but you never know who needs to hear what we have to say mm -hmm. because somebody could be thinking or on the edge of thinking the way that we are and being able to observe the true nature of reality. And then something we say just triggers them into thinking and going along that path of waking up. And even though I hate to refer to him, but Joe Rogan, he is out there and even though, yeah, he is a little bit more mainstream now, he does wake a lot of people up by asking questions, just simple questions. And that's basically how we came to this. We started asking questions and we woke up. And I'm glad because we've connected with people like you. We've connected with, we've connected with people like Conspiracy Kyle, with Andy from The Deep Share. And we have this community going where we're building each other up and we're across the pond. So it's not like we can, um, you know, bring you over here. And, and of course the TSA is always an issue, but 
you know, if you ever need to make your escape, you have you have an anchor here in the U.S. that we can bring you and and sponsor you. <laughs> but yeah, we we want to be that anchor for people and and to kind of bring them out of their their slumber. And I think I think we did that. We connected a lot of dots today. I think so. This has been great. This has been great, Rob. Yeah. Well, sorry, I was going to say. So, I mean, maybe Joe Rogan is using his government issued driving license to take a busload of people to the riot. Maybe that's how he's using his platformer. That's true. So, you know, there's always, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, like say, always tell Alex Jones tells a lot of truth, but, you know, sometimes if he says the, the way he says some stuff, he can be discounted instantly. But he's been right more times than he's been wrong. Uh, and that's a worry. So. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and the news can't claim that. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, but absolutely the news has been wrong more times than it's been right uh so like you say it, a grain of salt take the information um try not to shoot the messenger some there are people out there that i don't like but they say the right th- you know they say the right thing they say they say stuff that makes you think and you say well i need to just double check what you're saying um dean Ryder from up is down some of his latest ones like which are pretty much just a little bit more ranty uh, than interview style, but I think he's he's at a, a situation or the same point that I am, the way he's just trying to get things off his chest because he can see it all coming to a head, and he wants to just say, you know, what he wants to grab the world by the collar and say, "Wake the fuck up, for Christ's sake," you know, because you know you're all dragging us down with you by by complying, you know, like he says, the mask is the is the symbol if, if people stop wearing the mask people stop getting tested you know you, you there's a correlation isn't there anyone who's not vaccinated is not testing yeah so the cases are coming from people that are vaccinated they're driving the whole thing and they don't realize it but one day someone's just going to say ah sod it and like say that little scree slope of skittering pebbles that are cascading down the side of the hill might just catch the right rock and then that rock hits a boulder and then before you know it the whole mountain shifted you know and uh leveled everything heck (laughs) yeah heck yeah it's gonna happen (laughs) i feel it man rob this has been really awesome and amazing to talk to you um so thankful for you and can you tell our listeners where they can find you what's coming for your podcast um, as you're revamping it and then we can just real quick give a background on ourselves for your end and uh yeah well it's spheretical podcast uh is the world of sphere or is it a mathematical construct held up by equation built upon a by equation it, that's the the, the the synopsis of it i'm hoping to start doing at least if not a weekly one a bi-weekly one where i rant as i drive to work and rant on my way back and then edit that and post that out that's that's the plan for the new year um what else can i say i think that's about no i think that's about it for spheretical on twitter at spheretical on twitter instagram i think's at spheretical as well i've got a link tree i can send you i think it's on my email tag yeah. If you want to put it in the show notes, that's fine. Yeah, I'll put that in and the I'm show And I'm available notes. if someone wants to email me at spheretical at gmail.com. Um, and again, Scottish Borders, 
not far from a place called Gala Shields. If anyone's familiar with it, they can hit me up. Nice. For sure. And we do have a lot of listeners in the UK and Australia and Europe, and we're getting a lot more in Africa and Asia now. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going pretty well. Well, for us, we're uh, I'm Buffalo. And I'm Lakes. And we're False Reality Check. And we just love having great conversations, opening our eyes and connecting with people that is our soul tribe kind of across the world and across space and time. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And you can find us on falserealitycheck.com or Rockfin and Twitter and all that, you know, Instagram, FRC pod, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And email FRC podcast at protonmail.com. Um, and we're on telegram t.me slash false reality check. Find us anywhere. We'll reach out. And we love talking to people. Definitely. For sure. So this has been really fun. Rob, we'll have to do it again. And, uh, I know there's a time difference, but appreciate you giving us a couple hours of your time. And I hope that, uh, the rest of your day or night goes well and good luck with (laughs) everything that's happening. Cause we all kind of need luck right now. Right. So I'll, I'll give you the, the only, like, the white pill moment that I can give you is even if you've been dealt a bad hand, you're still playing the game. That's good. I love that. Yeah. that, that that's Play my it well. biggest thing. Look. Right on. For sure. Well, Rob, okay, right. thank you so much. Well, no, th- thank you very much for giving me your time. Um, and like I say, um, just looking at my my notes that I made, and I don't think we actually touched any of the notes. But yeah, no, it's been a, yeah. I think I think it's more of a get get stuff off my chest kind of chat. But yeah, thanks for indulging me, and I'll, I'll probably put this out as my New Year reboot episode. Right on. If you could send me the files, that'd be great. For sure, we will. I'll for get sure, to you right away. Yeah, we'll save these notes for next time we get on together. Oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe we can touch them. <laughs> Yeah, no, because the, the Nimitz theory—that's one of my favorites. I, I like that. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll touch on that. An overpopulation and stuff. But I mean, they're all interesting topics that can be pretty much disproven just by a cursory look. I mean, you hear it all the time when you guys say, "Oh, well, you're driving from like you know like through the the breadbasket of America, and you're just driving for days, not seeing a soul." And then you get to a town or a city and it's like everyone's stacked on top of each other like Lego bricks. And they go, oh, there's too many people here. You go, yeah, yeah. It's not like there's loads of space. It's just it's not being utilized very well. Really. Yeah. So, exactly. exactly. Manufactured scarcity. There's another good subject. Yes. That is exactly. a good one. Okay. I look forward to the bandwidth wars of 2022. Yeah. Have you seen... Player ready, ready player one? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that's mentioned in the opening dialogue, isn't it? The bandwidth wars. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds like toilet roll wars, but um, everyone was fighting over bandwidth. I love it. Oh, man. The bandwidth. It's great. So, yeah. anyway, yes, sorry. I, I need to go. I've got, I've, uh, I think we had a pizza delivery about an hour ago. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy your pizza. Enjoy your evening. <laughs> Thanks for coming yeah, on. You too. It, it's been lovely to actually see you and listen to you talk at normal speed. Right on. <laughs> Same here. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Rob. Much and love that, to you. I shall sign off. Okay, yeah. Love you both. Peace. 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 Thank you for listening to the False Reality Check podcast. There's many ways to support us, but please subscribe to us on Rockfin. 
Yes, Rockfin is only $9.99 per month or $99 a year, and you get our premium content, our live streams, and other great content from the free thinking community, MMA, um, comedy, so much good stuff on there. And you can uh, throw us a couple of dollars per tip if you'd like. Yes, please. We would love that. You can also find us and all of our content on falserealitycheck.com. You can find our podcasts at anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, or again, go to our website, falserealitycheck.com for our RSS feed. Yes, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at FRCPod. And we're at Gab and Float at False Reality Check. But don't feel like you've got to reach out to us there. You can also reach out to us through email at frcpodcast at protonmail.com. We tried our best to answer and read all of our emails from fans, and we love you guys for reaching out to us. Yes, thank you, listeners, and keep listening. Definitely. Check us all also out. You can reach out to us on Telegram. We're also on Telegram at uh, False Reality Check. Yes, I think that's it. Alrighty. Until next time. Peace.